Join us now for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm Keith Poston. This week, 1.4 million North Carolina children return to class for the start of a new school year. The new year begins just a little over three months after an estimated 20,000 teachers marched in Raleigh asking the General Assembly for more support for public education. This week, we talked to the president of the North Carolina Association of Educators, the group that organized the march, on what was accomplished and what he believes still needs to be done. We're also going to talk to the superintendent of one of the state's fastest growing school districts, Johnston County Public Schools, about the challenges and opportunities he sees as the new school year begins. Before we tackle our main topic, we open with headlines, a quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. Last week, teachers from around North Carolina held events demanding that state legislators do more to improve conditions in public schools. Seven town hall type meetings were held across the state organized by a group known as Red for Ed NC. The events were held in Buncombe, Forsyth, Macon, Mecklenburg, Pitt, Wake, and Wayne counties. The teachers who spoke cited overly large class sizes and inadequate supplies as examples of how the General Assembly is not properly supporting public schools. Red for Ed NC presented a declaration in defense of North Carolina's public school children signed by teachers from 104 school districts and plans to conduct outreach this fall in the run-up to the November elections. Charlotte-Mecklenburg Schools, once a national model for school integration, is taking a new approach this school year after seeing nearly all the progress it had made vanish as integration efforts were abandoned in favor of neighborhood schools and rapidly expanding school choice. School leaders have identified three high-poverty, resegregated elementary schools to essentially merge them with nearby neighborhood or magnet schools with different demographics and academic strengths. We'll keep an eye on this new effort for on future shows. Finally, new data just released highlights the importance of the Federal School Lunch Program here in North Carolina. The National School Lunch Program provides free and reduced price school lunches to families facing financial difficulties and hardship. In the 2016-27 school year, 59.8% of public school students in the state of North Carolina received lunches through this program, this according to the North Carolina Department of Public Instruction. That's 10 percentage points higher than the level of participation just a decade earlier. Remember, you can visit the Public School Forum's website at ncforum.org, click Education Matters, and read more about each of these headlines as well as all the other topics we cover each week. As I said at the top of the show, we're going to talk to the president of the North Carolina Association of Educators, Mark Jewell. Mark? Thanks hey, for coming on. Keith, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right, well, I mentioned at the opening, this is the first week for you know, most students who are on uh, traditional calendars in our public schools. And you know, I wanted to just ask you, from, you're a teacher. Yeah. I, mean, uh, I mean, I think people read, see you on the news or read, read about your paper as, as a president of NCAE, but uh, you've been teaching for how long? This is my 32nd year in public education, and boy, does it go by quickly. All right, well, I think I actually have a picture I'm going to pull up on the screen, okay. Mark, of um, that uh, you shared on social media yeah. back, back, there you are. Yeah, uh, yes. <laughs> Look that's, at that fresh face, Mark Jewel. Actually, I, I got to say, you look exactly the same. That was at Murphy, uh, <laughs> Murphy Academy in Greensboro my class that was a fourth grade class well, there and I'm still friends with those kids they're grown now but uh, we, right. keep, we stay connected well let me ask you I mean uh, the use I mean you're 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 in a different role right yeah. now with yeah. NCAE but I mean 
first year, the first week, first day of school, does it still, I don't know, yeah, butterflies, it, excitement? Always, always. I just love seeing all the posts from our educators out there. You just can't sleep the night before. It's one of those careers where you get to have a fresh start every year. And uh, no matter if you're in one or year 32, it is that excitement to be able to have such an impact on the future of North Carolina. Right. And you mentioned, um, I mean, you came here. I knew this because I've heard you talk about mm -hmm. it before. You moved to North Carolina to teach here in this state. Absolutely. In 1997, I taught in West Virginia for 10 years, but obviously uh, North Carolina was moving forward in public education. We were growing in our school system. We were investing in educator salaries, but also in resources for our students. And I came here in 1997 because of that investment. Which is, I think, a good transition to the teacher march. Three yes. months ago, yes. we came out, actually, this show, we came out with our camera. I think I talked to you. We, we talked did. to a bunch of teachers. Um, you know, there was a, the, the, there were, the conversations I kept having with teachers was about the lack of support and the lack of resources. Um, what did you want to accomplish with the march? We're showing some of the scenes now on, on, on the screen. What did you hope to accomplish, and I guess what have you accomplished? Yeah, that you know, May 16th, we couldn't be prouder of the tens of thousands of educators, of parents, of community members, of businesses that join together and say what had happened in North Carolina for the past seven years of the chronically underfunding our schools is not the North Carolina way. So May 16th was about accountability. It was not a one-shot about educator pay, which is, of course, important and a priority, but it was about student resources. It was about safe schools. It was about recruiting the best and the brightest to teach our students. It was a six-month strategy to make sure that we get policymakers on November the 6th. Work on it. We're going to call it an ed wave, making sure that we get folks. We think public education is going to lead the priority ticket come November 6th, and we've got to get priority people there to make the policies. Well, talking about priorities, um, you know, there seemed to be a, there was a lot of discussion leading up to the march around teacher pay, yep. and there's been some activity, and there's yes. been some positive movement in some areas on teacher pay. But I kept hearing things about more about per pupil spending and overall support. Is is that the most important yeah. um, uh, issue? Or, I mean, how do they sort of how do you rank yeah, them in priorities? We are, you know, we're the ninth largest state in uh, in the country, and we're 39th in per pupil funding. We're $2,400 per student below the national average in what we spend for resources. Can you imagine if educators had $2,400 per student to spend on their students? This is why we haven't had a, a textbook adoption in nearly 50 years. That shouldn't be our new normal. This is why we have 40 students in a classroom uh, in many of our school systems across North Carolina. That shouldn't be our new normal. That's why we have vacancies to this day because we can't get uh, certified educators. That can't be our new normal. So it's about funding and resources and this General Assembly has made it a priority to invest in the corporate boardroom instead of our public classrooms and uh, the citizens of North Carolina don't feel that that's a North Carolina that we deserve. Now I don't know if you saw this this, there was a survey out this week, I think I saw it in USA Today, but uh, uh, that two out of three Americans now believe that teachers are underpaid. It was actually, the question was around some of the walkouts that had happened in, yes. like in West Virginia and, and Kentucky and Colorado. I mean, um, when you travel the state, do you, what, what is your sense of where the public is and where teachers feel on the issue of their compensation? Yes, they are struggling financially. Um, we have a broken salary schedule uh, that is created by this General Assembly that eliminated longevity and eliminated master degree pay. So we have a beginning salary that starts out around 35 and taps out about 52 or $53,000 now. If you look at where we were prior to the recession in 2008, the master's degree schedule was higher than what we have 
now. Mm -hmm. That is not enough to recruit and retain high quality educators in North Carolina. So that's why we see a teacher shortage crisis. We've got to do better. Uh, the number one resource is that uh, professional that's standing in front of our students. Right. Well, it was a big showing, got a lot of attention. Did you accomplish anything? Oh, we yet? think we have. We think <laughs> okay. we have. We have gone back to our communities. We are registering voters. We're talking public education. We know that whether you're a Democrat or a Republican or unaffiliated, people love their public schools here in North Carolina, and we feel that we're going to make a strong impact. We're organizing our communities. We're going to do a Vote Together March this fall in October on a Saturday, where we're going to have a mass uh, event to get people to the polls, and we feel that public education will rule the day on November the 6th. What do you think? Look. I mean, we've had a number of legislators, Republicans and Democrats, on. They all they they all seem to say they love public education and mm -hmm. teachers. I mean. Is there a disconnect? I mean, is there a misperception? Do you, you talk to legislators and, and you have your folks that talk yes. to them? Do they have a different impression? Do they say than 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 you think is reality, or what, sort of what is it? Or is it priorities? What is it exactly? Right. It's your... about priorities, and I tell people watch what they do and not what they say. Watch how they vote. When you chronically vote to underfund public education, when you're sending millions of dollars every year, 3.5 billion dollars will uh, less is left on the table come January. What should be going to public schools. That's about priorities. And our schools and our school districts are starving because of that. We've got to start reinvesting in public education and make that a leader, not only in the Southeast, but across America where people come, businesses even. We used to be in the top five where businesses want to come here to relocate. We've dropped to number nine, and they cited that as because of the lack of investment in public education. Businesses and public schools have thrived for decades in North Carolina and made us strong, and we need to reach that. All right, last question for you. Uh, what's next? Um, you mentioned the election. Obviously, there were some rumors and some chatter after the march that, yes. that there might be walkouts or right. things. In, and obviously, this is the first week of school, nothing like that's happened. Do you think that we'll get to that point right. in North Carolina where it happens? Obviously, we're throwing all of our energy right now to November the 6th. We're laser focused to making sure we're going to get uh, public education uh, uh, policymakers elected that can support the governor's budget to return us to the national average in educator pay and per pupil spend. And then walkouts are never a priority. That's not what we want to do. We want to get investments there in public education. But obviously, we will look at after November 6th, and we'll see what General Assembly we have to work with. But Correct. we feel that we're going to have a pro-public education General Assembly come November 6th. Right. Mark, thanks. Always a pleasure to have Always you Always a pleasure. Appreciate thanks so much it. for having Thank NCAEs you. at the table. Absolutely. When we come back, we're going to introduce you to the superintendent of Johnston County Schools, one of the fastest-growing districts in the state. But before we go to break, see if you can answer this question. In 2017-2018, the General Assembly allocated 8.9 $3 billion for public education, about 39% of the general fund. What was the percentage of the general fund dedicated to public ed in 1970? Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Paragon Bank, serving others, enriching lives. Welcome back to Education Matters. Did you correctly answer C, 52%. In 1970, 52% of the state's general fund went to education. If public schools were funded at that same percentage today, that would be an additional $3 billion available for our schools. 
We're going to continue our discussion about back to school with Dr. Ross Renfro. Dr. Renfro is the superintendent of Johnston County Public Schools, and I read this week you are the first superintendent of Johnston County Schools to be a native of Johnston County. That's quite an honor. Uh, graduated from North Johnston High School back in 1983, and. Uh, the majority of our career has been uh, back home in Johnston County. Right. Well, that's that's true. You know, that's what I love when you know um, when I get a chance to go out and talk to a super. I was talking to your uh, uh, your colleague, Dr. Miller, down in Greene County, and we were doing an interview, and we were sitting in a little 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 children's chairs in a library talking. He's like, "Yeah, this is my elementary school that I went to," and I, and and the sheriff up in Rockingham County, we were visiting and talking in a high school, and so I I, I love that connection, and I think that um, you seem to uh, have really embraced and valued the. Uh, bringing the community in to embrace the public schools. I think it's essential in our success today that uh, the public school system team, not just with the students and parents, but with the community at large, because uh, it takes all of us working together to achieve what it is we need to do each day for our students. Now, how long have you been in the in the in the role? I think this is going on two and a half, three years. Okay. Now, I, um, um, I mentioned about uh, the, the community involvement. We've got some uh, footage we're going to uh, show. You had a convocation, which was new to me. I don't know how long this has been going on, but we've got some, uh, some aerials and some pictures from them. So tell me about that. So what was that all about, and uh, where, did it, where did that idea come from? Convocation goes back to uh, my days as an old football coach. I think about what we did at that time as a teacher and coach to motivate our players for Friday night. You know, the bands playing, the cheerleaders, and you want to uh, impress upon everyone the importance of what it is that you're doing. And so we transfer that to the convocation because we have to be the biggest cheerleaders for our teachers and, and support staff on a daily basis. And so it's the chance to come together, recognize, let folks know just how much we appreciate what they do each and every day in serving students. And so it's a festive atmosphere. We we'll get you there next year. Yeah, the I bands come. are playing. I, I loved it. I loved it. Is that the ball field? Yeah, I mean, I, I saw we saw Superintendent uh, Mark Johnson was there. I think you had it's almost like this sort of like first pitch kind of deal, and you had alumni and other people speaking. So that was, it's a cool idea. The difference makers would bring tears to your eyes because we uh, recognized uh, those teachers from the past that had made a difference in students' lives. And so that reunion there at second base where a student sees the person who uh, helped mold and shape them to achieve what it is that they've achieved in life, and that embrace and hug and sentiment, powerful, powerful. Powerful. What are you most excited about going into the new school year? Oh, just uh, the opportunity to serve. Uh, when people ask what a superintendent does, we had a third grader at Benson Elementary who said it best. You know, you get up at career day and you talk about your job, and she pulls me to the side and tugs me on the coat and says, it's your job to make my dreams come true. Wow. And so just the opportunity to serve students and help them do whatever it is in life that they want to do. And a new beginning, uh, 36,000 students last year, we think that we'll be above that again this year, and a fresh start and a chance to make a difference in so many different circles. I mean, that is, I mean, that is one of the things that's so unique about being a, a, a teacher, um, and, and obviously you were too, is that I mean, so many people are going to know your name for the rest of your life. I'm sure that you and me right now could sit here and tick off you know, five or six names of teachers, um, you know, they may not remember us, um, well, maybe depending on what we, if we cut up a lot sure. in class, but you would remember them, right? Without a doubt. Uh, we do a weekly vlog, and, um, you know, often we refer to those folks who helped mold and shape me in my formative years. 
Uh, you know, I was blessed to have two parents and older siblings, but I think about the uh, Ann Lyles and the Phil Pittmans who really, really inspired me to want to be a public educator. Right. All right, well, what worries you? We've got, look, we, we were just talking to Mark Jewell about some of the things that teachers, and you had some, uh, quite a few teachers involved in the, in the march, I know. Um, infrastructure, Johnston County Schools, growing you have 200 mobile classrooms those basically you've got some backs of schools that look a little bit like mobile parks yes sir without um, a doubt um, you know for me being uh, one of the fastest growing districts in the state the seventh largest but also being a low wealth district uh, you talk about resources uh, and we know that students can learn in mobile units each and every day sure. they do but we think about the safety and security aspect which is paramount in the, the world we live in today. So number one, we want to make sure that each student, each teammate, adult, is uh, in a safe and secure environment. And then going into this year with our, uh, our mantra, each student counts, every moment matters. We want to uh, pair a caring, compassionate, competent adult with a student so that we can help make their dreams come true. And only after we do those things do we feel like that we can start the educating process. And I remind our folks every day in the trenches, to educate is not something we do to them, it's something that we do with them. Can Johnston County, you mentioned low wealth, and look, most of the counties in North Carolina are, are low wealth when you get down to it. Sure. Can you do what you need to do for your students without, the, without additional support from the state? Well, you know, and talk about concerns. You know, the state has a, a funding formula for our exceptional children's program. And they say up to about 12.4, 12.5% will give you money for that. But if you have a population that exceeds that, you've got to fund that out of your local, local budget. And so in Johnston County, uh, our EC population is between 16 and 17%. So just this past year, the budget cycle, We've had to use about $4 million that our county commissioners give us locally to um, help bridge that shortfall from the state. And so it's items like that that really put you behind the eight ball as you try and provide that quality education on a daily basis for our students. And so and where it shows up is it's things you can't do. Sure. Like, I mean, for other, like it's that extra AP course or that extra foreign language and then the classroom space. I mean, you definitely need some more classroom space and then the K-3 class size CAPS, I understand, are putting some pressure on um, some upper grades. Without a doubt, because what we do in K-3, you know, you'll see larger classes in fourth grade, sixth grade, nine through 12. It's just a, uh, a logical progression. But, uh, you know, we want to team with folks. We want to work together. But, you know, we'd also like to put a school resource officer in every, every school. Mm -hmm. And uh, the money that we're using to uh, shore up the EC piece, that's taken away from that mindset that we could put a school resource officer in elementary schools and middle schools as well. Well, you've got a big job, you got an important job, but we appreciate everything you're doing, and I know that I'm sure the families and, and the community in Johnston County does too. So look, I appreciate you being here on the first week. So Glad to be here. Thanks Thank so you. much. All right. After the break, this week's Leadership Spotlight.
Each week, Education Matters spotlights individuals demonstrating exceptional leadership in education in North Carolina based on nominations from you, our viewers. This week, we're spotlighting a great program, the Gentleman's Agreement in Wilson. Leadership Spotlight is brought to you by Participate, where we believe every student deserves equitable access to quality education. Straight and narrow. That's the path that the Gentleman's Agreement helps you stay on. It's hard out here for black males and don't want to be a statistic, just want to live up to the expectations and so show that we could be strong in everything. Challenge them to be the best that they can be and not to settle for anything less than that. Let's determine who we are and what we can be in the future and not let our society define our values. They are of immense value and worth as young black men. And we say that unapologetically. You have to be the best that you can be regardless of what your, the complexion of your skin, the texture of your hair. We say to them, respect yourself as young black men. The importance of education in, in, the, in the black community, that has long been the ticket. We toured the African American Museum of History and Culture, the, of course, the King Memorial as well, and other sites. And then locally, their workshops with the um, Department of Social Services did a financial literacy workshop. We're exposing these guys to a world beyond these boundaries here. Ward members. Uh, are part of workshops. They are part of you know, the mentoring process to help to ensure the longevity of the program. Their worth and their value is not measured in how much money they make. It's not measured in the number of things that they get. It is measured in what they do when they reach back and give their time, their talents, their resources to those who will follow them. That is how we know we've made a difference. Gentlemen's Agreement has the possibility of transforming generations of not just African American boys, but a community and low a nation. If you know someone that deserves to be recognized, please visit our website, ncforum.org, click on Education Matters, and you'll find a link to nominate someone in your community. After the break, this week's final word. This week, the General Assembly convened for another special session to rewrite language around six amendments to the North Carolina Constitution that they passed during the most recent session and are slated for the November ballot. Now, the most recent special session was called after judges struck down two of the amendments, saying that the language did not give voters a fair and non-discriminatory explanation. Both amendments shift powers from the governor and the executive branch to the legislature and both of these amendments triggered a historic gathering of all living former North Carolina governors, Republican and Democrat, urging lawmakers to withdraw them. Now, you might think that the six proposed amendments don't directly affect education. Now, certainly the amendment around appointments could affect education, as well as the amendment around a state income tax cap, tax cap that would tie the hands of future legislatures to respond to state needs. But one thing is absolutely clear. 
Not a single thing is happening in these special sessions that, by the way, are costing taxpayers an estimated $50,000 a day about the average annual salary of a teacher that will support our public schools. The legislators are not here to allocate more resources to build a new school or a classroom. They're not here to replace outdated, worn-out textbooks. They didn't hustle back to town to provide more funding for classroom supplies so teachers don't have to pay for them out of their own pocket or to allocate critical resources needed to hire more school nurses, counselors, and school resource officers. All things we need. So you can debate the merits of these amendments, but all the activity certainly says a lot about priorities. That's it for this week's show. Thanks for watching. Tune in next week when we have State Superintendent Mark Johnson joining us on a new, brand new Education Matters.